Teach me about the Great Lakes. Teach me about the Great Lakes. Cha. Welcome back to Teach Me About the Great Lakes, a twice-monthly podcast in which I, a Great Lakes novice, ask people who are smarter and harder working than I am to teach me all about the Great Lakes. Hey, everybody. This is Stuart Carlton. I work with Illinois Indiana Sea Grant. And uh, this is actually a special bonus episode. So um, if you remember, we were recently recorded a, a live episode at the Joint Aquatic Sciences meeting in beautiful Grand Rapids, Michigan. It was at a cool uh, 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 brew pub, I guess, the Grand Rapids Brewing Company. Had a couple brews, some good food, some good times. And, and anyway, I hope you listened to it. It was episode 57. If not, you can go back and listen to it. But one of the things we did was we played a little uh, game. We called it Game of Nutrients with uh, Ed Verhamey, who's a past president of Iagler. And we compared his answers to those of uh, Andy Bramberger, the current Iagler president. And so we thought it would be cool. We actually recorded with Andy. We didn't intend to release it as an episode, but um, we did. And so, or well, we recorded it. And we're like, ah, what the heck? Let's just go ahead and, and release it as an episode. So uh, that's this. That's what we're going to do. What we did was we just took the audio. Now it's not up uh, to our normal standards because we didn't get out the whole big recording setup and, and what have you. But we thought, you know, it'd be really interesting and, and worth listening to. Because I think the game of nutrients actually worked really well. I was suspicious of it. It was Carolyn's idea, um, but I, I thought it worked really much better than I. Uh, it worked much better than I thought it would, and so I'm glad we did it. But um, we had to cut Andy's answers a little bit for the live audience, and so here we go. We're just going to present to you basically the full interview, um, lightly edited only. We cut out one part that we didn't end up using, um, but the rest as is. So apologies for the audio quality, but I think it was still an interesting conversation about um, nutrients and uh, lakes and, and how they interact, and also, of course, donuts or sandwiches. Anyway, hope you enjoy it, and a uh, nice little bonus episode, and we'll be back uh, on June 6th with our regular episode, regular scheduled episode, um, with um, someone talking about uh, piping plovers, actually, about Montine Rose. So we look forward to that. In the meantime, consider this to be just a little sorbet to cleanse your palate after our live episode. As always, thanks for listening, and keep grading those lakes. currently the president of the International Association for Great Lakes Research uh, until, I guess, sometime in June this year. Um, my research focuses mostly on phytoplankton and algal ecology in large lakes. And a lot of that is looking at how environmental stressors, both natural and anthropogenic, so read that as climate change, I suppose, uh, affect dynamics and structure of algae communities. Um, my background, really, I, I did a lot of work in ancient lakes uh, in Indonesia, um, so I'm a bit of a tropical ecologist, and it, it always makes me think of tropical ecology when I, I see the changes that we're seeing associated with our lakes getting warmer and warmer here in temperate systems. Um, but I've also done work in, in the Canadian Arctic and Florida Everglades and, and basically freshwater systems all over the world. Cool. Thanks. Um, so Stuart may hop in and have other questions, but we, we may not, um, we don't really know what we're doing, but we'll ask the questions that we sent you. Okay. Um, you sent so, me questions? Did yeah, I miss that's all right. I can, okay. So, but it's really partially, it's your opinion. And part of okay. the point of this is to pit like someone who's more of an algae person versus a modeler, 
if it works out the way I hope it will. All right. Um, okay. So of the five Great Lakes, and if you want to count Lake St. Clair, that's fine. Um, which lake, if any, is the most negatively affected by nutrient runoff, in your opinion? Uh, in my opinion, Lake Erie is the most negatively affected by nutrient runoff. Um, you know, we can we can call Lake St. Clair, I guess, a, a pretty good lake. You know, it's it's kind of like Lake Champlain and Lake of the Woods and Lake Simcoe. It's not quite a great lake, but it's pretty good. Um, you know, it it has some algae problems. There is still, especially on the Canadian side, a lot of agriculture that, that runs into to that basin as well. Um, but all of that ends up in Lake Erie. Um, and on the U.S. side, of course, you know, we're all familiar with the problems associated with the Maumee Basin. And the Canadian side is largely agricultural around the western basin of Lake Erie as well. Um, it's hard to say, you know, as a whole lake, um, if that problem is as pronounced. I know a lot of people associate the hypoxia that we see in the central basin with nutrient runoff that largely enters the western basin. Um, I think the jury may still be a little bit out on how tightly those two features are linked, um, but certainly the, the harmful algae bloom problems and eutrophication uh, that we've seen in the Western Basin is, is primarily a consequence of, of nutrient runoff into that, into that region. Cool. Thank you. My guess, my prediction is that Ed will also say Lake Erie, but we'll see what happens. All Ed right. is the Lake Erie aficionado. So. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, next question. Which lake, if any, is the most positively affected by nutrient runoff? Hmm. Uh, in some ways, that could also be Lake Erie. And it, it really depends on, you know, sort of what your, your focus is. As, as an algae person, um, you know, it's, it's really hard to say from an algae perspective. It's, you know, looking at harmful algae blooms, that's certainly what we would think of anthropogenically as a negative response uh, or a negative impact. In other areas, those blooms have been occurring probably before people were around. Uh, certainly, we've made them worse in a lot of cases. But Lake Erie also supports a really fantastic and valuable commercial and sport fishery. Um, so, you know, there's debates both in Lake Erie and Lake Ontario as to whether our phosphorus targets are too strict and um, whether further reductions in phosphorus, although they may help our algae problems, uh, if that will negatively affect those very valuable fisheries. Um, again, the jury's still out on how tightly linked offshore fisheries are to nearshore phosphorus uh, inputs. Um, so, you know, that being said, Lake Erie probably benefits in terms of, of you know, walleye and, and perch production. Uh, other lakes where we're, you know, looking at, at more, I guess, salmonidous sport fisheries and a little bit of commercial fisheries, there's certainly a minimal amount of, of nutrients that needs to be uh, there in order to support the food webs that culminate in those fisheries. Um, but, you know, if we were getting something like a Lake Erie situation, you know, I, I can't imagine the average lake trout wouldn't really want to be swimming around in, in pea soup green water. Um, so, again, the answer is probably Lake Erie and maybe to a lesser extent Lake Ontario from that from that fishy perspective. From the fishy perspective. That's the title there. Um, 
nutrients from the fishy perspective because all anyone cares about is fish. Anyway, um, that is just a personal thing. Okay, thank you. What, in your opinion, is the coolest way to monitor nutrients? Hmm. I, to me, the coolest way to monitor nutrients is to look at what the algae are doing. Um, and I say this for a lot of reasons. Uh, one is just because I, I, I feel like our reliance upon instruments um, is maybe a, a little bit putting the cart before the horse or maybe uh, um, overlooking some of the, the important connections um, and mechanisms that are at play before we just go out and, you know, dip a probe and look at chlorophyll. Um, even within that, you know, looking at chlorophyll tells you a fair bit about how much algal biomass is in the water, but it doesn't tell you who's there. It doesn't tell you what they're doing. Um, but we've developed over years really, you know, well-documented tight relationships between certain algal indicators um, and nutrient status um, and a whole suite of other parameters um, within the lakes. So to be able to, you know, look at, at, at those indicators, you're essentially asking the algae what they're seeing um, and they can track those things either on a much more rapid timescale than we'd ever be able to go out and, and sample every day. Um, or on the other hand, you can look at how they'll assimilate and the communities will, will kind of coalesce or change over time. So it's a really nice way to look at sort of whatever time scale you want, whatever level of spatial resolution you want. And, uh, you know, they're, they're fun to look at in a microscope, which to me makes it a cool way to monitor nutrients. I still remember a talk that I saw that you and Revy gave where they had measured like the diatom communities. And then they had also dropped like probes for like, you know, phosphorus or nitrogen or whatever. And they were like, the diatoms did a better job of reflecting what was really happening. And it was like this room of people who were all really happy. It was very exciting. And, you know, you and I work quite closely. So um, we're actually working on a, a, a couple things right now that, uh, and, you know, Doug Hafner is, as well as involved in this. It's, it's just sort of my collection of friends from over the years in various parts of the Great Lakes that I've worked on. Um, but there is an idea that, that, you know, some of these things, diatoms do by and large track phosphorus really well, and we can, we can infer phosphorus quite precisely from diatom models. But there are some systems and, and some sort of temporal variability features of systems that affect how um, stringently certain species can track their environment. And whether you get species there who, who kind of care about it or not, whether they're specialists or generalists. Um, so, you know, there's a certain amount of uncertainty around those predictions. And we're working now to try to get a handle on you know, what determines that, that level of uncertainty and, and community tracking of environmental stressors. Cool. Okay. We have two more questions. Um, the first is if you could tell our listeners one thing about nutrients in the Great Lakes, what would it be? That it's not the be all and end all that everyone makes it out to be. Um, even with respect to harmful algae blooms, certainly phosphorus is, is what fuels the fire to a large extent. Um, but when we start looking through decades or centuries that human beings have been in the Great Lakes Basin, um, 
the overwhelming signal that we see is one of, of climate and warming and lake stratification. Um, and that even sort of overwhelms the signals that we see of, of cultural eutrophication and recovery. So it is important, especially in terms of absolute biomass or absolute production or how quickly that system is turning over carbon. Um, but what determines who's there, um, what their sort of metabolic capabilities or community metabolic capabilities are, um, and the ultimate fate of carbon that enters the food web can be due in large part to climate change or stratification. So, you know, it's, it is really important to think about nutrients. It is really important to regulate nutrients. Um, but it's important that we think about it in the context of, of the larger biological community and what other drivers might be changing the system that, you know, we, we frequently overlook, I think, in our, uh, in our attempts to manage the system. Is that Michigan? Pardon? Is Lake Michigan too? I'm sorry, I, I cut you off. Uh, is Lake Michigan too clean? Is the water too clean? <laughs> uh, again, um, if you're a fishy person, maybe it is. Um, if you're someone who likes diving, then it can never be too clear. Uh, so it depends. I, you know, we always think about what is the outcome or what's the beneficial use that you want to manage for. Um, and the, the, what is it? I can't remember the, the group now. It's, it's slipping my mind, but the swim, drink, fish people, you know, oh, yeah. swimming and drinking require, you know, a certain set of conditions to make it really, you know, good water to swim in, good water to drink, really easy water to treat and not stressing your treatment plants to be able to provide drinking water to, to large numbers of people. Um, but those are frequently at odds with how much carbon is entering the food web and successfully filtering up to those, those higher trophic level top predators that we like to catch and eat. Um, so yeah, is it too clear? I don't know. I mean, it's, it is really interesting that Lake Michigan and Lake Huron are now approaching or sometimes more clear than, than Lake Superior. Um, and that because they're sort of in the middle of the system, it, it does have impacts on what goes further down as well. So some of UN's other work, you know, since we're sort of mentioning UN here and there, um, in the early 2000s, we, we saw uh, the quagga mussels really hammering diatom populations in Lake Michigan, Lake Huron, and, and that continues uh, to this day. Um, but with that lack of diatom production in the middle lakes, basically every year we were getting big exports of silica to Lake Erie. Um, and in the mid 2000s, like 2003 to through 2007 or so, it was driving real record Alakasira Atlantica blooms in the early spring in, in Lake Erie. Um, so it, it's again your perspective. You know, do you want to think about fish or do you want to think about water clarity? Um, do you want to think about macrophytes and how much water might be pen or how much light might be penetrating deep into the water column? Uh, do you want to think specifically about Lake Michigan and Lake Huron, or do you want to, you know, also look downstream at what changes in that um, algal production in in the middle lakes might mean to, you know, Lake Erie, which is. In all honesty, sorry, go ahead. All I wanted was you to just say. All I wanted really was you to just say no, so I could go tell Thomas that. It was <laughs> Our boss is a is a fishy person. So, okay, and that was not the official last question. That was just. 
the last the last question um so this is the I don't know if you've ever listened to the podcast, but this gets asked at the end of every single, every single thing. If you could have, I guess we should ask the second last one too, but okay. First one is if you could have a great donut for breakfast or a great sandwich for lunch, which would it be? A great sandwich. There's really only one correct answer here. Yes. So. Yeah. Right. And I can even tell you which sandwich if, if, uh, um, if you're in Duluth, Minnesota, there is a, a smokehouse called Northern Water Smokehouse, and they have just the best sandwiches. Um, but there's one called a Cajun Fin, and they do a, a smoked Atlantic salmon with Cajun spices um, and put it on a sandwich with some fire roasted red peppers and tomatoes and other stuff. And it is delicious. So there's, I mean, it would be you know, a great sandwich for lunch, great sandwich for dinner, great sandwich for breakfast, snack, like that would be. Wait, this is like smokehouse, like smokehouse. H-A-U-S, yeah. Yeah, national mail order. I don't even have to go to Duluth. No, you don't. I don't know that you'd get a fresh sandwich, but I know that you're if you're If you're going to order, get the get the Cajun-style smoked salmon. It's unreal. Well, I. I will likely be in Duluth at some point. I'm in. I'm and if you, you know, if you happen to be crossing the border into Canada, um, I, I could put in an order to, like, have <laughs> you bring it across. It's the only ship in the states, and then you can bring it across and put it. In <laughs> Cajun fish, scallion cream cheese, Finn with two M's. Yeah, Those yeah, because they're it's they're they're Finnish, I believe. They're Scandinavian. Hence the smokehouse house. Cool. Okay, so the second question, I'm not going to say it entirely right because I didn't write it down, but basically, is there a spot in the Great Lakes? So so part of what we're trying to do with this podcast is um, let people know about the places, in, like that the Great Lakes are an awesome place, and there are lots of really magical things there and stuff like that. So is there any location in the Great Lakes or the Great Lakes Basin that is particularly special to you, um, and where is it? There are a lot. <laughs> there are really a lot. Um, it, it's hard to say where to, to start. Um, being where I am now, living in the Niagara Peninsula in Ontario, uh, we just have waterfalls around every corner. So we all think of Niagara Falls, and that's the big one. But a lot of the Great Lakes tributaries uh, to Lake Ontario, where they fall off the edge of the escarpment, um, they're great waterfalls. Um, one of the ones that's closest to here is a place called Decue Falls, and there's an extension of the Bruce Trail, which is Canada's oldest and longest hiking trail. Um, and there's a Bruce Trail spur that, that you actually walk behind the, the falling water um, at the base of the waterfall. So that's always, you know, that's a, a special place that I've known since I was a kid. Um, spending time in, in Duluth. Um, Lake Superior has some of the most beautiful, spectacular, pristine beaches that you'll see anywhere in the world. Um, and they're fresh water, so you don't have to desalt yourself afterwards. It's just a little cold. Um, and I'm, I'm a surfer, so I, I learned to surf on Lake Erie, of all weird places to learn to surf. Uh, but the biggest wave I've ever ridden was um, just up the North shore from Duluth a little bit at a place called Stony Point 
on the north shore of Lake Superior. And um, the waves there, when it's a winter storm, will be, in surfer terms, double, double overhead in a bit. In layman's terms, about a three-meter wave. Perfect. Cool. They, they get bigger, but you can't surf them when it's that big. It's <laughs> cool. Oh, well, we have to talk about surfing. Not today, but sometime we'll have to have you back on and talk about surfing. I didn't even know it was a thing. Yeah, there's, there is a, a pretty tight-knit and active surfing community in the Great Lakes. Um, and, you know, those who do it will say, if you can surf in the Great Lakes, you can surf anywhere. Because uh, the, the best waves are when it's cold. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, it's pretty rough conditions. Uh, people from, a, especially in the, in the U.S. Midwest, people will drive from all over the Midwest if there's a good swell on Lake Superior. Um, but there are great beaches to surf in pretty much every Great Lake. Lake Erie is probably the toughest to get the right conditions to produce waves where you want them. But uh, Lake Michigan has some great surfing. Lake Ontario, you know, right near where I work on the, at the Canada Centre for Inland Waters. Uh, Burlington Beach, just across Lakeshore Road from us, is a, a good surf spot. So there is an active community. Um, and it, it is a, a kind of a special thing to be able to surf in fresh water. In Texas, they uh, would wait for um, oil tankers to go by. And then, like, there were people who lived right by the beach at, you know, the gross, polluted, disgusting beach that you really shouldn't even be walking on. And um, and they would, like, have it timed. So they'd watch a tanker go by, and they know, you know, after about four minutes or something, I need to come out and then yeah. surf, and then they would go back. You're going to get a wave or two. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But, that you know, I mean, you're living in Houston, Texas. Yeah. Got, right? <laughs> okay. Um. Andy, is there anything, uh, wait, sorry. Where can people go to learn more about the work that you are doing? Oh, that's, that's tough. Me specifically, probably just look me up on ResearchGate or something. Um, but in a broader sense, uh, Environment and Climate Change Canada does a lot of work on the Great Lakes. Um, so a lot of that can be found by just kind of clicking around within the, uh, Watershed Hydrology and Ecology Research Division uh, from Environment and Climate Change Canada. The work that I am still involved uh, with working with you and Ravi, uh, you can find uh, through the University of Minnesota Duluth's websites. Um, some of that, some of the things I'm involved in, you can probably find through the Large Lakes Observatory. Some would be Natural Resources Research Institute. So yeah, it's, it's here and there. It's not really a good spot to find it. I work with a lot of different people. Cool. Thanks, Andy, for just uh, jumping on there. You know, um, our favorite guests are the ones who are just willing to say yes. You know, we'll come up with some sort of idea that's, you know, half-baked, sometimes maybe quarter-baked, and uh, but just seems fun. And, and our favorite guests are those that'll just be like, sure, let's try. And so Andy is willing to do that, and that's great. And so is Ed, Ed Verhamey of uh, Limnotech. And uh, in all honesty, I think in terms of um, uh, learning, I think that the game of nutrients was really, really good. It was interesting to hear them compare their answers. And if you really actively think about it, uh, I, I think I learned a lot about nutrients. So that was really good. 
Uh, so we'll be back on uh, Monday the 6th with our next new episode. This is just a little bonus. Every now and again, we throw out a bonus episode when we have it done. Uh, this would normally be the time when I do the credits, but you know what? We're not going to do credits today. Uh, thanks to Andy Bramberger. Thanks to Carolyn Foley. Uh, and thanks to you for listening. And I think I already said it once, but I'll say it again. Keep laking those grades and keep grading those lakes. Beep, 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 beep.